So, beloved, let's turn to the book of Hebrews, or the letter, the epistle, the sermon, whatever you want to call it. In my Bible, it's identified as the epistle to the Hebrews. Um, we're going to read chapter 1, and then we're going to read verses 1 to 4. So, we're going to read the whole section all the way down to chapters 2 and 4, okay? So, I'll read. You follow along in your own Bible there. Make sure that I'm not making stuff up. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he, he also made the worlds, who being the express the being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has appointed you with the oil of gladness, much more than your companions. And you, Lord... In the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak, you will fold them up. And they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make all your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Therefore, we must not give, or we, sorry, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Amen. 
Now, if you remember last time, we talked about the supremacy of Jesus Christ being greater than all of the angels, being greater than all of the, the pinnacle of creation, the greatest of all of God's creation, and apart from man. I mean, for the Hebrews in their thinking, there was nothing more greater, more terrible, more frightening than an angel. Angels were fierce beasts. Think of the seraphim. Think of the cherubim. Don't think of the, the foolish angels that we have today with the, the white robes and the big swan-like wings and the beautiful hair and the manicured nails. Don't think of some floating cherub with little, you know, like those little fat babies you see in the, Le- Le- was it Leonardo? One of the turtles, Michelangelo. Paintings, you know, where they're playing these little fat cherubs, you know, the, the big faces and their little wings and pling, pling, pling. That's not an angel. Angels are fearsome and frightening, terrifying, powerful. Again, we don't really have the concept of angels in our culture. We have dumbed them down and made them nice and pleasant and little baby like, you know, and we've ridiculed and mocked them. We've made them, turned them into hippies that wear bathrobes with swan wings who are very effeminate and almost woman-like, you know. Mm-hmm. But in the ancient world, they were like, they were like demigods. I said this last time. Think of Avengers. Think of superhumans. And you're getting close to what the ancient world considered angels to be like and here the writer is saying that Jesus is so far superior to them that they don't even register it's Jesus and then there ain't nobody else these are just and he uses the expression remember in in verse 7 the writer says of the angels he says He who makes his angels spirits, the word there is wind. Who makes his ministers themes of fire. They have no substance. You ever try to grab the wind? You ever try to grab fire? It's influential, it's powerful. He's not saying that, but he's saying that that they're of no substance in comparison. They might have effect, but Jesus Christ, the Son He who was promised and he who is the final communication of God, the ultimate revelation, the final revelation of God is so much more superior to the angels. He's making much. The writer wants you to understand the unique position of Jesus. He's trying to demonstrate to you, the reader, the hearer, the trustworthiness. He is portraying Jesus. He's exalting and he's lifting him up in front of your eyes. This is who we have believed in. In order that you might see him. And then the writer does this thing. He does it all the way through the book. We'll see it time and time and time again. It's good pastoring. It's, it's a, this could be a lesson how to pastor people well. He gives them this lesson. He portrays Christ before their eyes wonderfully. And then he turns to them and says, therefore. Therefore. And every time a therefore comes, you should go, 
What's going to happen? What's going to happen? He does this great exaltation, but then he comes in with an exhortation. Because this is true, therefore, you must consider this. Chapter 2, where we are today, verses 1 to 4, he says right from the the get-go, right from the beginning, Therefore, we must give earnest heed, it says in my Bible, or special attention, as it says in another translation, to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Think on that. Think how powerful a statement that is. He's just lifted Christ up. He's just demonstrated to his listeners, his readers, to those who are following on, to you and I, to all believers, to everyone throughout all time who would ever read this, the greatness of Jesus Christ. And then he says, you must give special attention to it. Special attention. A, a, a concerted effort. You must hold fast. You must be careful to pay attention. And it's a, I read in one of the commentaries that it's a nautical term he's using here. It's a, it's a boat, and I don't, I don't do boats, look at me. I, I, last time I was on a fishing boat, I threw up everywhere. It's not going to happen. But this is a nautical term. He uses two nautical terms here. The first one being the, the special attention, and the other one, lest we drift away. And the idea is, you've got to make sure that you've tied the boat up properly. You've got to make sure you've, you've put the anchor down correctly. That the, the, the anchor is tied on, the rope tied to the anchor, the anchor tied to the boat. It's fixed more, properly stuck into place. You've got to get special attention. You can't be casual with it. You can't just say, well, you know, your wife says, did you, did you fix that? You say, well, I think so. Did you turn the stove off before we left the house? I think I did. Maybe. Perhaps. We'll see when we come home in two weeks. The house is still standing. Be grand. It's not. It's. You must give careful, special, particular attention to the things that you have heard. Why? Lest you drift away. And the idea there again is a boat that has slipped its moorings and has gradually. And you know, just slowly drifted away. And you come back, and, oh, I think I left my boat here. And you look out the sea, and there it is. Have you ever had one of those blow up rings or beds that you sleep on in the water? You know, the kids play with, or a giant swan? I remember once we had one of those giant rings, and we were in Perkins Beach. And, and the boys had left it by the shore, not on the sand, but not necessarily in the water. And the waves had come and they had lifted it off the sand, this big ring. And it came out just, just, just gently. And I, I saw it and I thought to myself, you know, it's, it's no danger. It's still there in the sand bit. You know, I can go get it in a second. A few moments later, I looked back and it was way, it was floating way. And I was like, boys, go get that. All of a second, in a moment of carelessness, in a moment of inattention, 
The waves had come and lifted it away and had drifted gently without any notice, without any stress or strain, with no big hullabaloo. It had simply drifted it away on the tides and on the current. And it was on its way to Sweden. Or Lars, one of the two. Whatever got there first. Here, the writer, the Holy Spirit through the writer is warning his hearers, whether they be believers, whether they be the on the fence kind of people, the people who recognize that these things are true, but yet have not believed because they were afraid of what people might say or think. He's speaking to the unbelievers who reject and say, no, we don't want anything to do with Jesus. We don't want anything to do with this. I hear what you're saying, but I just don't want it. Here he's saying to all three of those groups, you must give special attention, special care to what you're hearing. You must respond carefully to what you're hearing. Otherwise, if you don't, if you're careless, you will begin to drift away. To drift away from the things that you've heard. To drift away from the realization and the revelation that Jesus Christ is God. That he is the Savior. That he is the Lord. That the things that God has communicated to. Remember that's what he starts with in the very first verse. God has spoken to us today. In our time. Through the Son. But the writer says, but if you don't give special attention. If you forget about them. If you're careless with it. If you're irresponsible and foolish, you will drift away from the central issue of the truth. Your heart will begin to grow cold. And we see that further down through the letter. He brings the same theme again and again. You that will will go foolish, will go cold, that will stop meeting together with unbelievers, that will turn away from the faith, but that will fall into apostasy. He's warning them and he's warning you and warning me that we must give special attention. You know that when people fall away from the faith, it doesn't happen in just one night. It doesn't, somebody will, you know, well, I was at the church last night and then you know, I left the building and do you know what? I'm just not a believer anymore. I just decided no. I just, I just realized I didn't believe anymore. It never happens that way. It's a gradual coldness, an indifference, a hardening of the heart, a weakening of the conscience, a, a, a A callous growing over the sensitive parts of your spirit. So that things that once we would consider sinful and wicked. Now you just look at them and say, you know what? I don't think that's that bad. It doesn't bother me. I'm okay with it. It's a slow process. A drifting away. It's a backsliding. It's a falling away. It's falling into apostasy. And here the apostle, or whoever wrote this, is warning his readers. He's warning you and I that you and I can fall into this trap. We can make the same mistake. He's warning us all that we all have the ability to drift away. 
It just takes a, a lack of carefulness, a lack of paying special attention, of not applying the word to our hearts and to our minds, of denying the importance of the word in our faith and in our practice. Because you can believe the word or say that you believe the Bible. You can declare that you believe the word. But when we examine your life, we see gaps. We see lacks of omission. Of a, not doing. A lack of consistency between what you say and what you do. For if you say that you believe something, you will act upon it. It will be reflected in what you do. And yet, if you are careless and foolish, absent-minded, the boat drifts away. That's the term he's using here. It's a challenge to us all, isn't it? It's a warning to us all. It's a, a, an extolling to us all. Are you careful? Are you paying special attention? Are you walking in his ways and keeping his requirements? Not just, oh, I believe in Jesus. <laughs> I believe in Jesus. And there's an absence of any reality. If you believe in Jesus, what does that look like? Well, Jesus says, if you love me, if you believe in me, you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements. If you're his disciple, you will live your life according to his disciplines. If you're his follower, you will mimic, you will follow in his footsteps. You will do what he did. You will say what he did. And I'm not saying go out and do miracles. That's not what I'm talking about. The moral fiber of your life will be exactly like his. The standard, the law that's written on the heart inside you will be one that fears God and obeys his commandments. You will not be a lawless person. You will be a man who walks in the light of the law of God. So here, chapter 2 and verse 1, we are given a solemn warning, a serious warning. For all who claim that they believe, understand, beloved. Yes, we believe in the, the providence of God. Yes, we believe in the sovereignty of God in all things. And it is God who decides all things. If God wants it, it will happen. Yes, yes, all those things are true. But there is still the, the obligation upon you. The responsibility upon you that you must walk in his ways and keep his requirements. On that last day, you will not be able to turn to God and say, Well, Lord, you didn't make me do these things. Lord, I just didn't feel you speaking to my heart. Lord, if you wanted me to be that way, if you wanted me to be obedient, if you wanted me to love you more and pray more and, and be with you more and, and Lord, to follow you and all of you, then you should have made me. You should have made me that way. My justice just wasn't part of who I was. I was enjoying life, Lord. It's not my fault, it's your fault, Lord. Or the... It's my wife's fault. Or it's my children's fault. I had just so much to do. I have no time for you, Lord. Beloved, that argument will not work with God. That world argument, he'll say, but did you not read, if you walk in my ways and keep my requirements, I will give you a place here amongst those. 
If you abide in me and I abide in you, ask anything you wish and it will be given unto you. Did, did you, not, did you not read that in the word? Come all of you unto me and I will give you rest. Did you not read that in the word? Come, I said, come, come unto me. And you said, well, you know what? I don't know about time, Lord. Beloved, upon us all there is the responsibility laid. There's the obligation to come. And there's the obligation to be careful. To be diligent. To give special attention to these things. You will not be able to pull the wool over God's eyes and say, Ha ha, Lord, Lord, you know how it was, you know. <gasps> it's not going to work. If you want to understand why there has been a cooling down and a deadening of the heart where your Christian life is no longer vibrant or alive or quick and fresh. It feels like everything's old cardboard, wet and soggy. It feels like everything's three old day bread. You ever try to break one of those old Breads, you know, you go to Lidl and you, you say, and it's on special price and you pick it up and it's like a brick, you can't break it. Ah! Even me with all my muscles can't break it. You ever wonder why your heart is that way? Beloved, it may be that you have not given special attention to these things. You have not been diligent in the, the care of your own heart. You have not sought him in his word. You have not sought him at the throne through prayer. You have neglected your duties towards your brothers and your sisters. You have kept your mouth silent in the presence of unbelievers. When God had called you to witness for him, he'd set you there as a light in the darkness in order that people might see and know and believe and be struck to their hearts with conviction. And yet, because you have been careless, because your diligence has lacked, your mouth has been closed and the opportunity lost and people continue and they're drifting away. Beloved, let us not never wonder why our, our Christian lives suffer so. Why are we as people are not the Christians that we're supposed to be? Is this not the reason why we have not been diligent? I like that idea of, of tying up your boat. When I was a fisherman oh, many, many, many years ago, younger than my, younger than my Vigo, that's how old I am, you know? and I remember we came into port and the, the ropes that we used to tie up the trawler that I worked on were, were like the, the size of my leg, you know, they were really thick, giant ropes, and that you would throw them, I remember the first time I threw one and I went, I was on the boat and I threw it and I went straight over the side. So weak was I, you know, the, and so heavy the rope. And it wasn't enough just to take the rope and put it over the, I don't even know what they're called, but the anchor points on the pier. You put them on. You had to tie them round in a certain way so that every time the, mo the boat moved, the rope got tighter. It didn't loosen. If you tied it wrong, the rope would loosen and the boat would drift away. Or if you tied it wrong with too little 
space and rope. If you tied with two little rope, when the, when the tide went down, the boat would get stuck against the side of the pier, you know. The water would all go and the boat would fall over the side. You always had to give special attention. You always had to understand what's coming next. What's the tide going to do? What's, is it going to be a storm? And you had to know how to tie the ropes and how much rope you needed. And where, depending on how the wind was blowing, if it was blowing from this way, you put the boat in a certain place. If it was blowing from this way, you put the boat in a certain place. You'd know which way to turn the boat and park it. Very complicated. But if the captain was careless, or if the crew members were careless in the tying up the boat, the boat would be lost, either untie itself and float away. Or be destroyed and crashed against the side of the pier. It's a great example, don't you think? If you don't look after this, it will be destroyed. It will be lost. It will go adrift and then shipwrecked upon the rocks. The storms of life will happen. The waves will overpower it and the boat will be lost. Indeed, Paul in some other place warns that that certain men in a certain place had made shipwrecked of their faith. This great example, beloved, we as believers must know the responsibility and the duty that is laid upon us. We cannot just say, well, if God wills it, so it be. That'd be true. But God wills that you walk in his ways and keep his requirements. That you make an effort, that you take a stand, that you give special attention to these things. And then he goes on in verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received its just reward, he has just lifted up Jesus. He has exalted Jesus, the Son, the the inheritor, the one who is to come, the final and complete revelation of God, the one through whom God speaks and he's lifted him up and he's, oh, Jesus, like massive, amazing. Remember the Jews, the Jews had this huge, massive, giant respect for angels. The first covenant came through, remember an angel came down in the flames of fire, the angel of the Lord came down and gave Moses the law and there was fire and like a volcano, storms, lightning, the whole effect going. And they understood that there was power there. But they also understood that if they disobeyed the covenant that it was given to them by an angel, by a simple messenger, if it came by the hand of a messenger and they disobeyed it, there was a swift and powerful judgment. Death. You couldn't escape it. He's making the point here. Listen, we all know. We all know what happened when we didn't didn't obey the law that came through angels. We all know what happened when we broke the covenant that came through the messenger. He's lifting up in their minds this understanding that, beloved, don't think you're going to get away with it. He goes on in verse 3, part A. How then shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's a challenge right there. 
If we neglect the life that God has given us, if we neglect this, the living out of our Christian lives in a way that God has commanded us to do so, this is not just a word to unbelievers. This is a word to believers. If you're careless with it, if you're careless with this gift that God has given you, with this precious cargo of life, will God punish those who neglected the forerunner, the first covenant, that which was an example of that which was to come, Christ, and they suffer terrible judgment Do you think you're going to escape it when it comes through the author? And the answer, of course, is you're not. The answer is the judgment and the punishment that they received pales is little in comparison to the judgment that will come upon you if you neglect this. Now, he may be speaking to those who are on the fence. They claim to be believers, but there's an absence of reality in their life. They're not open believers. Remember, we know the the three groups that the writer is writing to. The believers open following Jesus. The on the fence, the secret believers, those who would like to believe, but because of their fear of the Jews, because of their fear of persecution, they're not open in it. They compromise. Well, I believe in Jesus, but at the same time, I'm sacrificing at the temple. I'm still doing the things of the old covenant because I don't want to offend anybody. And I think you both could be right. Jesus could be right and the Passover lamb could be right. You know, I think there's a case to be made. Jesus paid for all my sins, but at the same time, I still have to keep sacrificing just so I don't offend anybody. And then also to the unbelievers, to those who who recognized and realized and knew that Jesus had come, but they reject him. I don't want that. That's not what I want for my life. He's talking to them and he's telling them, don't be stupid. Don't think you can get away with it. Don't think you can just sit there and let it pass you by. Don't think that God doesn't see and know. Don't think that it escapes his attention. Because there's coming a day when judgment will come. And every transgression and every sin and every iniquity will be paid for. Now you and I, beloved, if you're a believer here this evening, you and I, when that moment comes, will cry, The blood of Christ! Jesus! And the Lord will step in in front of us and say, Father, this is the one I died for. Pardoned. Free, redeemed. I hope to God that's true. And hope to God that you can say with, with faith that, that that's true about your story. But there will come those who are empty in their profession. They say, yes, they believe, but their lives are empty of the reality of it. When they'll come before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, oh, me too, Lord, me too. I'm one of yours. And the Lord will look at them and go, I'm sorry. I don't know you. Who are you? Well, Lord, did, did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did I not do this in your name? Did I not do that? And the Lord will say, depart from me, you, work, you workers of iniquity. And everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Because I don't know you. Why? Because they were 
careless in what they did. They did not respond faithfully. They did not take proper care and attention. They treated the Lord Jesus Christ as a fluffy puppy. You ever seen a fluffy puppy that you didn't love? You ever seen a fluffy puppy that you didn't want to pick up? Oh, you could have put love you so much. Oh. We do that with the Lord Jesus Christ. We reduce him down to something that he's not. We no longer see him as the almighty Christ, the son, the inheritor, the, the one who is to come, the final and real full revelation of God. We reduce him down to a fluffy puppy. Ooh. The writer here wants you to understand the danger in being careless in your walk. Oh, beloved, hear what I have to say. Hear what the Spirit says. Spend time. Give special attention to making sure that you're walking in His ways and keeping His requirements. I'm not saying works unto salvation. God forbid. No, don't be silly. It's through faith and faith alone that we are saved. But that faith in Christ should birth good works. A life that is lived according to his ways and to his requirements. That's lived in fear. A profession of faith that does not birth good works is no profession of faith whatsoever. It is a false profession. Because we are saved to be his servants, nay, his slaves. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And we have entered into servitude for the rest of our lives. He has become our Lord, our Kiros, our dictator. Beloved, do not be careless in the living of your life, in your approaching of God. In your walk together with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he your Lord? You and I, we don't even, we don't even feel it. I say that word Lord and I want to see shaking and fearing and people. <gasps> he is the Lord. There should be something inside you that a little bit of awe. I don't know yourselves. Uh, I like Star Trek and I like Star Wars and I like Lord of the Rings. I am one of those kind of nerds. You think of Star Wars when Darth Vader comes. Dun, 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 dun. You hear that Darth Vader waltz and you see all these soldiers standing immediately. Why? Because he is Lord Vader. There is that idea of. Ooh, Someone powerful and dangerous is coming. Lord of the Rings, when they mention Sauron, not who it is, the eye on top of the tower. Is it Saruman? Sauron? And yet you see that there is this immediate effect when the eye turns and looks at people, and there's this fear and this chill. Why? Because he is the Lord. We live in a time when we have lost the fear of Christ, 
of the Son. He's no longer the Son, the final and full revelation of the Father come to show us the way to live. He's a fluffy puppy. We are so careless in our approach to Christ. So careless in how we live our lives. So careless in how we think and feel. And sadly that leads to a drifting. A moving away. Of us distancing. Of us putting ourselves in danger. Beloved, hear what the Spirit has to say. If you neglect this word, if you neglect your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are not walking in his ways and keeping his requirements, if you are not living in such a way that he is your Lord, your master, your savior, where you recognize him and and acknowledge him as the Lord of your life, not just from your mouth, but from how you live. From everything, every relationship, every work. All things that you do brought under his influence. One of the reasons why I love the Puritans so much. Well, love them. Have a love-hate relationship with someone. Because they sought to bring all of their lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. They were especially careful and especially pernickety, sometimes far too much. But because they understood that a careless attitude towards Christ would lead in a drifting away. And that would end in certain death because a drifting away leads to judgment. He warns us in the second verse. And in the third verse, if if God punished those who only heard the words through a servant, how much more will those who have heard the words of the Son be punished? In verse 3 and 4, he then talks about uh, how the word was confirmed, was spoken by the Lord. Confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God bearing witness through signs and wonders. The idea is, somebody might say, well, Jesus never spoke to me. Jesus never said those things to me. I never received the covenant. You know, uh, there was years ago, they used to have this thing called the doulos and the logos. I know you guys are all too young and far too Christian to understand this. Where in charismatic circles, it's also part of, uh, comes from Karl Barth, I don't know if you know who that is. Where they would say that there was the Logos word, that is the word that is revealed, that's written on the, on the, on the page. And everyone, anyone could read that and it was all real, it was all from God. But unless it was accomplished, accomplished, unless it came with the Doulos word... The active word, the the living word, the word that jumped off the page and grabbed you in your heart. It had to move you. A living word. But then the the logos was powerless unless it was accompanied by the doulos. And so lots of people began to say, well, you know, I, I read that. 
do not sin or something, you know. And uh, I read what it said in the Logos, but there was no doulos. There was no, there was no living touch. God didn't touch my heart and cause me to believe that. And therefore, I'm somehow in some way excused from having to obey because the Logos wasn't accomplished by the doulos. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I remember being in Romania and somebody asking um, Conrad and Bay where that question, and he looked at them and said, "Well, brother, if you can show me from the scriptures exactly where you're talking about, I'll happily answer that." And everybody would have, because <gasps> they thought that they had Conrad over over a barrel there. They thought that they had him in a trap, and he asked them, "Could you show me from the scriptures where it identifies that?" And they couldn't, of course, and they were all shot down. God has spoken through his word. Jesus may not have spoken to you personally. The the angel of the Lord did not come down. Jesus Christ didn't walk into the room and say, Martin, Frederick, Sarah, whoever else, today I'm telling this to you personally and to you, so you need to know personally. I'm communicating these things. The writer is showing the line of how it has come came through Christ himself, the Lord, although Jesus is not mentioned here until verse 9, the Lord, Kairos, he's talking about God, it's the same name that's used in the Old Testament, he's not applying it to Jesus. The Lord first spoke these things, and it was heard by those who were there, and they shared it with us, and he's communicating that though there is, it didn't come firsthand, they still carry the authority of the word that was given. God confirmed it. So none of us can ever turn around and say, well God, you never said to me personally. Beloved, this word has been written down and preserved for you and for me. It is a living word, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is as live today as it was when it first came out of Christ's mouth. It is as vital and as vibrant Today than ever before. Heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said. But my word shall never pass away. Beloved, the writer, or the Holy Spirit through the writer, to the Hebrews, to the church of the first century, down through the millennial to today, he's saying to us that we must be careful. That we must give special attention. We must be diligent in obeying the things that we have heard, in living out the life and giving special attention to the truth that was revealed or given through the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me ask you, are you? Are you being diligent in your life? Are you praying? Not just going through the rosary, but oh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, God. Going through the, the empty, vain practice that the pagans do. Are you reading the scriptures? I'm not saying the, oh, da, 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 for the sake of receiving some blessing, but for the knowing him and for the, the you remember, it is said that man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that falls from the mouth of God, the bread of life, that which nourishes you and strengthens you. Why? Because if you're not, you are drifting. 
You are drifting away. And there will come a moment, maybe not today or tomorrow, maybe in a month or two months or three months or four months, when there will be so much space between you and the Lord, your heart will be cold. And you'll begin to seek after other things. You'll seek solace in other gods. The gods of our age, whatever they might be, entertainment, sports, money, whatever they might be, you'll seek solace and comfort and seek after them and they will take the place of Christ upon the throne of your heart. And you will end up making a shipwreck of your faith. Let me ask you again, are you being diligent? Are you giving special care? I'm not asking what's that person doing or what that person's doing or what you think that person's doing. It's not about what anybody else is doing. It's about what you are doing. Are you walking in his ways and keeping his requirements? Have you bowed the knee? Are you acknowledging him as his Lord? Are you living in a life of repentance and obedience? No, I'm not asking, did you repent 10 years ago or 20 years ago? I'm not asking, did you repent of your sin five minutes ago? Are you living in repentance today? That your life is a life that is turned around. You're no longer living the way that you used to live. There has been a change made. You have moved. You've moved in your mind. It moves in your heart. moves in your body. There is physical and real changes in you and in your lifestyle. That you're bringing all things under his glory all things under his rule. Not so that other people might see. But that he might receive the reward of his sufferings. It is for this reason that Christ died. That we might know him and enjoy him. And bring glory to him forever. Beloved, are you being careful? Have you got the knots tied properly? Is it in the right place? Don't think you'll get away with it. Don't think that you, Christ hasn't seen the carelessness. Don't think that, that just because you haven't received judgment that it's not, not coming. We preachers often warn about the judgment that is to come. That's part of our job. That's who we are, you know. Beware the judgment that is to come. And we point to that day that is appointed when all men, great and the small, the young and the old, will be gathered before the great white throne. And he shall go through them, sheep and the goats, and some to heaven and some to hell, to live eternity in those places. But there is another judgment in this life, judgment in this world. Where you get your comeuppance, when when you get your just desserts, when you get the wages that you work for. You know, for the, the, the man who is a fornicator, an adulterer, who fornicates and sleeps around with whoever and whatever, you know, they, they're indiscriminate in, in whoever they sleep with, and that man gets AIDS. There he has the judgment of his actions. The man who is a thief and steals, embezzles from the company. 
He steals and he steals. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. And then one day he's discovered. <gasps> and the police come and arrest him. And he goes to court and he's found guilty and he's charged and he goes to jail. And there he must spend his time and punishment until... And the judgment doesn't just stop with him going to jail. He loses his job. He loses his position. He loses his respect. He loses his family. Everything is gone because of his sin. The alcoholic. The man who abuses substances. Drug addict. They abuse and they abuse until their body can't take it anymore. The drunkard and his liver. Gets psoriasis of the liver. Liver. His body begins to break down, reject, and he begins to die. He has no body mass. The drug addict who just takes drugs and wastes away their body. And we see the judgment of God display that the consequences of their sins have caught up with them. And in this life, they must taste a little bit of judgment. A little bit of they're just desserts. You get what you ask for. We all know that saying. Beloved, don't think that you'll get away with it. Don't think that just because you're not facing the consequences of your actions today and of your carelessness and of your drifting away that you're going to get away with it. Christ may be gracious and long-suffering and patient with you. But there will come a day when the bill is due, when all things are made known, when all around will see and know, and you must face the consequences of your actions. Please, beloved, do not be careless. Do not neglect this. Great salvation that has come through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he has not just come to save our souls, but to save us and to make us whole, to deliver us from this world of darkness. Joel is preaching through, through 1 Corinthians. And we saw last week, as he's going through chapter 6, that long list of sinners, that long list of men and women, and their, their, their actions. How God had redeemed them. And transformed them. And changed them. And led them out of that life. We must be careful. That we don't continue in the pattern of this life. That we don't. Neglect. The things that have been told to us. Don't think you'll get away with it. Don't think your carelessness has no consequence or significance. That it's not really hurting anybody else. Just me. I don't care. I don't care. You'll care whenever you make shipwrecked of your life. When things really hit the fan. Beloved, hear the warning of the Spirit. Take special care of your life today in order to prevent the tragedy that is to come in this life or in the next. Because there is no escape. If people in times past could not escape when 
the law was given and salvation was announced through simple angels. And I use the word simple carefully there. Do not think that you will escape now that the Son has come and he has spoken and he has revealed and he has said, come eat of me. Come, trust in me. Come, walk in my ways. Come, I will protect you if you follow me. If we neglect him and say, Lord, I I follow you, but you know what? I'm just going to go over there for 20 minutes. Maybe I'll come back. Do not think your casual, careless little sins are meaningless. They are not meaningless. They're just an indication of drifting. An indication that you may be on a journey that will lead you to judgment and pain and sadness and sorrow. Please God, I, I hope that none of us, none of us will be exposed to be false believers. Beloved, none of us have an excuse. None of us will be able to turn and say to the Lord on that final day, I know one ever spoke to me about that. I, I, I knew, but like I didn't know. Let me ask you again, are you careful? Have you seen the Lord Jesus Christ? His splendor and his power, his majesty and his might. Do you know the Lord, the one who has come to set us free? If so, then trust him, trust him, trust him. Walk in his ways and keep his requirements. Let his laws guard your heart. His laws are not there to to prevent us from enjoying ourselves. His laws are there to protect us from the ravages of sin, from the wages of sin that are death. To protect us from the advantage, from he who would come killed, murdered, destroyed, to steal all that we have from the devil himself. Beloved, are you careful? Are you given special attention, heed, care to the things of Christ? I hope you are. Let's pray. Our, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you're always honest with us. We thank you, Lord, that you never allow us to deceive ourselves. You're always caring for us. You're always nudging us and calling us back. Lord, we thank you that you speak plainly and clearly to us. Lord, we thank you that we, we now know and understand that we can never hide from you. The Lord, there are no secret sins that are meaningless. Thank you, God, that, that we can come back to you, Lord, that repentance is not a hard thing that we we say we're sorry lord we repent we turn our lives around we ask for strength and, and lord you enable us and help us and set us free lord please we pray change our hearts and our minds that we might walk more in alignment with you lord for all of the deceit for all of the the lies of the devil who whisper in our ears and tell us that Lord, that we do not need to really care about these things, that you do not care, that God is, that you've gone away. Lord, please silence him. Open up our eyes. Lord, allow us to see the truth of your word. Help us, O oh God, to know that you are the Lord. Help us to tremble at that. Help us to know that, Lord, that there is a, 
a judgment coming this in this life or in the next that is great and terrible and cannot be avoided. Oh Lord, we pray, help us this day. Help us, Lord, that we might walk in your ways and keep your requirements, that we might bring glory to your name. You have saved us. Now, Lord, please help us, Lord, to walk in the good works that you have already prepared for us, that we might bring glory to your name, honor to the name of Jesus Christ, that the people in the world might see and know that you are real, that they might be convicted of their sins and convinced of the righteousness of Christ and believe in you and be converted. Oh, Lord, we pray this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen.